1: Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
2: Yo, 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 it's the Daily Faceoff Show. We're streaming live on dailyfaceoff.com as well as Twitter and YouTube. He is Daily Faceoff senior writer and managing editor, Matt Larkin. Matt, it's April 1st, and there will be no April Fool's jokes here on the show.
3: Thank you. I'm so glad. They drive me crazy, especially in sports journalism. We don't know what's real and what's not. It hurts my brain.
2: Yeah, I don't need to be processing. Will Keith Yandel actually be a healthy scratch on Saturday, ending the uh, impressive Ironman streak that he's put together? Or is this just the Flyers trying to have fun with everyone? I don't know. I don't have enough uh, capacity for that. It's still too close to the deadline. My brain is an absolute pile of mush let's uh let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with this austin matthews hitting 50 goals the first toronto maple Leafs player since dave Chuck almost 30 years ago to hit 50 matt just the fourth Toronto Maple Leaf of all time to hit the 50 goal mark. He's now closing in on the franchise record of 54. That means he also has the NHL's goal-scoring lead as the first player to hit 50 this season. He does it on an empty net, which I guess maybe leaves you longing for a little more, but you see he takes the lead in the rocket race over Leon Dreisaitl. Kind of cool that these guys, at least for now, are playing on alternate nights. So it's like, you know, here's what Matthews did. Let's see if Dreisaitl can match it. What do you think of uh, Austin Matthews hitting this number and his season?
3: I think it's pretty remarkable. And it's sort of a coronation of him as, I think, the best goal scorer in the world today. Obviously, Alex Ovechkin, I think, has sort of taken over the all-time title. I think most would argue. But for Matthews, he's the fastest in 26 years to get to 50 goals. He does it in 62 games. And... It's amazing that to me, he's already right now number five all time on the NHL goals per game list. Of course, that comes down as a player exits his prime. It's going to go down the average as he you know, finishes his season with a few 30 goal years later in his career. But right now, the, the fact that he's that high, it's a testament to his overall talent. It's almost unrivaled in terms of his pure shooting ability.
2: Okay, so Sheldon Keefe was asked this after the game on Thursday night, and it was, where does Austin Matthews rank? Is he among the best Leafs of all time? Is he the best Leaf of all time? Not a question we can answer in a minute, but at first glance, could he be the best Leaf of all time when it's all said and done?
3: The funny thing is, I don't even know if it's a hot take. This is a franchise with 104 seasons to look at in their history. They have not had a scoring champion since Gordy Drillin. In the 1930s that's how much there's been a darth in terms of top and elite talent the types of guys that win awards we know austin matthews of course leads the league in goals wins his first rocket richard he's the first leaf to actually have that award since it was introduced so to me you look at that and i don't think it's crazy to say he's the most talented player to wear a leaf sweater i don't think you can say the greatest yet you need championships to get into that conversation
2: when it's all said and done yes or no will he be
3: Well, the thing is, he's got two years left on his deal after this. So that's the big question. I was looking at the all-time goal list too. Matt Sundin's got 420. Austin Matthews at 249. Do we know he's going to set the all-time record? Is he going to be here? We don't know yet because there's always been the talk about Arizona. Is he going to be a Leaf forever? It's too early to know.
2: I think he will be, I, I just have a sneaking suspicion, no facts, no nothing other than I think he loves it in Toronto. I think he wants to turn that team into a winner and a champion. And, um, obviously such a talented guy, I think there's no better place to do it. once you get a, a sense of what it's like to do it in Toronto, even with all the bad that sometimes and, and attention, the magnifying glass that comes with it, I think in some ways that's kind of like a drug that you know you don't necessarily want to uh, leave that aside and go somewhere else that's a little bit more quiet. If you thrive on that energy and that pressure which clearly he does with his output, then it's a place that you probably want to hang around. Let's turn our attention to another milestone. It's been a series of them. You had, you know, in in successive nights, you had Connor McDavid hitting 100 points, then Austin Matthews, 50 goals. And now all of a sudden, Jonathan Huberto with a much less talked about record, which is... Most assists in a single season by a left wing in NHL history, 71 he hits. This is a few nights, speaking of milestones, after Huberto set the Florida Panthers games played in franchise history record. I don't know that this one was on my radar, but I think it speaks to, Matt, how great Jonathan Huberto's season has been. And, you know, I think the big question for you is, where would you have him, if anywhere, on your Hart Trophy ballot? At this point,
3: Yeah, it's amazing. And even looking at that list, some of the names are sort of unsung. Joe June, um, number two, that blows my mind. But I think, Gerudo, you know, if you talk to other players on the Panthers as well, and I did a big story on him a few months ago, and I did. And there really is a sense that he makes others around him better. He brings the room together. He's not necessarily the loudest voice, but he's the funniest voice in the room. He's really good for team chemistry. And I think the talent, it's absolutely unquestioned. He's someone that, you know, coming up into his career when he was in his draft year, he was never an elite skater, but he was a hard worker and he used his brain. He just is an expert at body positioning, finding a way to get inside a defender, even though he's not the fastest or most skilled in terms of just the raw abilities, the raw hands. He's the first person who would say that about himself, but he finds a way. And I think he's on the short list of the best playmakers in the game today.
2: So where would he be on your hard trophy ballot, you think? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think you know we've
2: seen some raging
3: debates online about it. And I do fall on the camp that I like my Hart Trophy winner to be sufficient at both ends of the ice. And Uberdo is fine defensively. He's worked on it, but I don't think he would ever grade out as elite defensively. So he's on the radar for me, but I don't know if he's necessarily top five.
2: So that means that if if you missed the debate on social media, the Dom decision, Alan Walsh... Uh, Uh, Twitter spat that I think we were all enjoying, uh, certainly would be getting some popcorn for that and would like to see it come up again later this month as it gets to awards voting season. So I guess that would mean that you tend to uh, lean towards the Dom Lecision argument and that it doesn't have necessarily the complete game to be considered the most valuable player on his team.
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. And all all due respect to to my man, Alan Walsh and Dom, I, I love them both, but I think in this case, you want to see that complete game. It's the type of player that takes you all the way and wins a championship is someone who you can put in any situation. And I don't think you have Jonathan Uberdeau, you know, blocking shots, killing a penalty in the dying seconds of a game. That's not really what his NHL identity is at this time. It doesn't mean he doesn't have an impact at both ends of the ice. I'm just saying compared to some of the other candidates, I think I put him a little bit lower down the list in the defensive side.
2: Well, the one key stat on that board that we just showed is the one year remaining on Jonathan Huberto's deal eligible for an extension this summer, going to be very expensive for the Florida Panthers. All of a sudden, their cap situation is going to look a whole lot different in a hurry with Barkov's new deal. You got Bobrovsky at $10 million. Jeez, uh, uh, they've got some dead cap money that comes into play. They've got some changes to make, and you know there's pressure on the Panthers to win, not just this year in the playoffs because they haven't won in so long, but also because those cap consequences are going to be looming at a certain point. Pretty wild scenario in Thursday night's game. Wild hit. Radko Gudis is a bad, bad man. And you take a look at this hip check that he threw, an absolute throwback. Uh, Kirby Doc just going for a ride on the first wheel here and you could tell like, it was just crazy watching the reaction from some players as they're watching it in slow-mo this is actually slowed down a bit if you watch it in real time it's insane how how fast he goes over his body loved the hip check from radko gutis and it also got us thinking matt who is the best pure body checker in the game right now
3: yeah, it's a great question. And I think about technique when you ask that question. You saw it there with Radko Gudis. There's a fine line between a good hip check and a low bridge. And he did it the right way there. And I remember a conversation I had with Scott Stevens last year about the art of hitting. And he was saying, you know, with the rule changes, he, he thinks maybe there won't be another him in the NHL. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. You got to watch some Tate. A tape of Jacob Truba. I think he is the guy you have to really watch out for on the ice. He's got the perfect ability to time a hit, to line up a player. He's sort of like that safety that you're, you've got alligator arms for an NFL receiver catching the ball over the middle. The way Truba can line people up and deliver the picture perfect open ice hit in the chest, often clean. To me, if we're talking pure ability to lay guys out open ice, it's Jacob Truba for me.
2: For me, he, you know, you said Art of Hitting from Scott Stevens, apparently Tom Wilson missed that that book on his list uh, of required reading growing up because the caveat with Tom Wilson is that he crosses the line frequently, but if we're going on pure devastation, Tom Wilson is just he's he's a human missile is what he is. Like I don't know any other better way to explain it. Like he absolutely crushes guys and i I think that's why his force his size everything that comes with it his his vision to see the hit um you know we can talk about his ability to to stay within the the lines in terms of uh it it being clean or not but a big reason why he gets so much attention matt is because he hits with such force that maybe takes it beyond uh, a lot of levels that guys can get to in this league that He just generates so much more attention because of how hard he hits.
3: Yeah, I think you're bang on there. And I think if you look at the history of the suspensions and the fact that he lands on the right side sometimes and other times he doesn't, it's very similar to Dustin Bufflin's career. When you're that big, you just can't help but do damage. Even if the hit's clean, people are up in arms no matter what Tom Wilson does on the ice because he could be picture perfect following the rulebook to a T, and he's still going to hurt somebody with his hits because he's just that big and that strong.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, I love watching Tom Wilson. I think any team would like to have him. Uh, he also makes for some interesting content every, you know, maybe once a year or so, where we debate his latest hit that crosses the line. So uh, Tom Wilson, I think he's the best pure hitter in the game in terms of devastation. I think maybe by technique, I think you're right. Jacob Truba certainly generates some uh, consideration. And then Radko Gudis, that guy, he's he's all over the place. So I think for the Panthers, you look at their season, you bump Gudis down to that th- third pair uh, certainly could be a valuable piece in the Stanley Cup playoffs in terms of size and toughness on the back end let's talk about uh, Kirill Kaprizov and the Minnesota Wild they've been cruising right along and I wanted to give some love as we turn the calendar to April to the month of March that Kirill the thrill had because he was unbelievable he actually led the league in goals 14 goals in the month of March in 20 games. He's been outstanding. The Minnesota Wild have been one of the best teams in the league in the month of March. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. You go back to last summer and and the very contentious contract negotiation, Matt, that the Minnesota Wild had with Kaprizov. They were basically saying then, look, this is an unprecedented contract. And the response back from the Kyo Kaprizov camp was, hey, look. This guy has done things that are unprecedented and will continue to, uh, you know, given where he's at and his skill level. He steps into the league last year basically at a 40-goal pace. He's right there knocking on 40 goals again with 38 and 83 points. So my question to you is, Kiro Kaprizov, buying or selling as a Hart Trophy candidate? I am buying. And when I think of
3: why, I go back to a couple conversations that I had with scouts the year before he came that still resonate today. One was a scout that was so high in him saying he's going to be a ready made product when he arrives. He has the brain of Brad Marchand, the body physicality of Vladimir Tarasenko and the hands of Artemi Panarin. The other scout was a little bit more bearish and said, He's going to be great, but is he going to be good enough to make others around him better? And that ties to this heart discussion. Look at the numbers of Ryan Hartman and Matt Saccarello this year. Look at the numbers of Victor Rask last year compared to this year. He's no longer on the line and he's pretty much a cast off. That's the difference of playing with Kaprizov and not, we know the offensive skills are amazing. He's a great goal scorer. He's so dynamic with the puck. But I think the underrated part of his game is he is showing he's that guy who can make others better. If you look at the analytics, five on five, he's seventh in the NHL in primary assists per 60 minutes ahead of Mitch Marner, for example. So to me, that's what puts him over the top. And I say, yes, absolutely. I'm buying it. He's a Hart Trophy candidate.
2: Yeah, I'm buying it. I don't know where Jonathan Huberto fits on my hard trophy ballot. I don't know about Igor Shosturkin. His play has kind of a little bit dropped off for the New York Rangers. His numbers have been down a bit. I think there's a whole separate argument to be made about goalies in the hard trophy discussion. You should be voting goalies every year, uh, theoretically, if you think about the most value uh, that they bring to a team. But I can tell you this, Kirill Kaprizov is going to be somewhere on my top five because he's dynamic, he's fun to watch, and he's backed up and done everything that the Minnesota Wild asked him to do in what was probably a pressure pack situation, getting that somewhat unprecedented second contract in the NHL. So uh, Kirill Kaprizov, fantastic season. What a month of March, 14 goals in 20 games. Let's go from one really hot team in the NHL to another. And let's talk about the Boston Bruins with Pete Blackburn of Bally Sports in this week's edition of the All 32. Pleased to welcome into the show Pete Blackburn of BallySports.com, based in Boston, Uh, certainly keeps a close eye on the Boston Bruins for this edition of All 32 delivered by DoorDash. Pete, when you look at the Boston Bruins and the season that they've had, they've really come alive since March 1st, 10-3-1, the second best points percentage in the NHL over that stretch. And as you've watched this team closely, What's made them come alive? What's been the difference for them over these last five weeks or so?
1: Uh, For me, the turning point was the the establishment of that third line. You know, once they got that third line going with Trent Frederick and Charlie Coyle uh, and Craig Smith, it, it really seemed to help them turn a corner. Obviously, the play of Jeremy Swayman and and sort of him coming into his own helped as well. But for me, like I always talk about the importance of having a, a good third line. If you want, I think that's kind of the separating factor between pretenders and contenders. And so, uh, you know, we've talked about the Bruins' lack of depth and their problems with secondary scoring over the past few years. But that third line has been established as a, a real difference maker that can help take you above. Uh, the competition. So th- it really did turn around once that line gelled and and started hitting and and uh, producing.
3: Pete, I know uh, Jeremy Swayman and, and Linus Allmark have sort of become the poster children this season for great goalie chemistry with their postgame hugs. And if you look at the sort of playing time split, it's been fairly even over the course of the season, but it does seem like Swayman is sort of starting to take the reins. Do you think at this point it's safe to say he's your starter
1: for the playoffs? I certainly hope so. Uh, I'm. I haven't been big on Linus Olmark for for most of this year. Um, you know, especially as of late. You know, I think heading into yesterday's game. He had a sub-900 save percentage over his last 10 starts. So, uh, you know, combine that with the fact uh, that Jeremy Swayman really does seem to be coming into his own and getting a little bit more confidence, and the play in front of him has helped as well. I mean, the Bruins are a good defensive team, but uh, Jeremy Swayman, I think that you you certainly have more confidence in him heading into the playoffs. You know, obviously... He's inexperienced, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And so uh, maybe there could be a quick trigger. But I think from what you've seen over the past few months, Swayman's the guy.
3: Mm-hmm. And also, of course, featured last night, honored last night was the man they replaced, Tukarask. Bruins honoring him. Of course, he's freshly retired now. I want to know, I want to put you on the spot, Pete. Where do you rank Tukarask all time among Bruins goaltenders?
1: I mean, in my lifetime, he's the best for sure. And I've seen a lot of people argue that he's, you know, the best period in in the history of that organization. I think, you know, you look at the numbers and there's certainly a case for that. I just I really think that that especially in this day and age, it's very, very rare to see a guy who has the consistency that Tuka Rask had over the course of his career. I mean like fifteen or so years in which he was one of the best goaltenders in the league, it's almost unheard of. You know, you have to be the elite of the elite to have that consistency. And so, you know, for me, I think that's the most impressive thing. And and obviously, people are going to make the arguments about, uh, you know, he he didn't get it done to win a cup, uh, you know, as the 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 guy. And you know, I, I I say, look at the numbers that he's had in the playoffs, even though. There hasn't been, uh, you know, him carrying a team single handedly to a cup. His numbers have been f- fantastic, uh, even in the years where they did end up losing in the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, the the argument of him being a bad playoff goalie or not being a big game goalie, I think that's completely overblown. I think he's the best goaltender in the history of the Bruins.
2: So, by that nature, then Pete, you would retire as forty.
1: I don't know that. I think that's a more complex debate. I, you know, I think that it depends on like what the organizational uh, boundaries or standard is for retiring a number. And you know, there are a number of guys that are on the Bruins or part of the Bruins core right now that you could certainly argue are deserving of it. And it just becomes how many are you going to retire? You know, obviously Bergeron's going to be up there. I think Chara is going to be up there. I think Marshand has a really good case. I don't I don't necessarily know if if Tuca is going to be one of those guys. I I do think that it hurts his case that he wasn't the guy that led them to a Stanley Cup. You know, if he had a Tim Thomas s carry, it's way easier of a decision to put his numbers up in the rafter. But I think there is a complex debate as to whether or not it's going to end up there.
2: Yeah, I agree. That's why I asked. And I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards no. The Bruins also have a ton of retired numbers. Uh, It's kind of amazing how many they have. So uh, and you mentioned a couple guys from this current team are going to be up there eventually or or recent past. I I don't know. It's awfully crowded up there in the garden rafters. So thanks to Pete Blackburn for joining us. This has been another edition of the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes at the bottom of your screen. DFODD if you're in Canada, DFODD if you're in the U.S. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. It's Friday night. The final four is this weekend. You don't want to cook. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door. By DoorDash, you can follow him on Twitter at Pete Blackburn and read his work at ballysports.com. Thanks to Pete. Have a great weekend, Pete. Thanks. All right, Matt, it's time for our daily face-off inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag DFO. We were just talking no April Fool's jokes, but at least we made ourselves out to be fools with a few predictions that we had this season. I can't wait to look back in a few weeks at my 32 bold predictions and see which ones I got right, which ones I got wrong, which ones I wasn't even close on. So what is one prediction you had from the beginning of the season that you feel pretty foolish about?
3: Oh, Frank, the hockey gods are cruel, okay? Every year for a good half decade, I was too low on the New York Islanders. I wasn't impressed. I was underwhelmed by their roster. They overachieved based on my prediction. I hear it from Isles fans every year. What do I do this year? I finally back them. I say I'm done doubting the New York Islanders. I pick them to finish first in the Metro and they flop. That's just the way it goes. I do think they had a good excuse. They had the 13-game road trip to open the season, waiting for their arena to be finished. So maybe you got to give them a mulligan. And I do believe their GM feels that way too. If you look, trade deadline day, the only thing Lou Lamorello does is he announces extensions for Zach Prize and Cal Clutterbuck. So to me, the message there is, okay, this year was just strange. We're going to give it a go again next year. So maybe I'll double down and pick the Islanders to flourish again in 2022-23.
2: Yeah. Bold play by Lou Lamorello and potentially yourself. For me, it was the Winnipeg Jets. It wasn't even close. I picked the Jets to win the Stanley cup this year. I was thinking with the core that they had the playoff success that they experienced previously, then they went out and bolstered their blue line. They had Connor Hellebuck in net and oh man, it is just the wheels have fallen off at least in terms of that prediction. How could you be any more wrong? You got to make, the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup. It's just second time in 5 years that I picked a Canadian team to end Canada's cup drought and they didn't even make the playoffs. I will not be picking a Canadian team to win the cup. I don't care who it is anytime soon. Not going to happen. So, let's bring in Tyler Yarmchuk for our daily bet segment. What's going on? Tyler, you've been man on fire.
0: Yeah, I've been uh, red hot, and that continued last night. Uh, First, though, my foolish take. I said the Minnesota Wild were overrated and would struggle to make the playoffs. Pretty wrong on that one, Frank. Um, But, yeah, the hot streak continued last night. Went three for four. I nailed Bergeron to get an assist at plus 130. Jacob Slavin to pick up an assist, plus 155. So it feels good. Let's see if we can keep it rolling into the weekend, courtesy of our friends at PointsBet Canada, starting with the old faithful parlaying the two big favorites on the slate. Nashville in regulation parlayed with Tampa Bay in regulation. This parlay is paying a very juicy plus 170. The Lightning taking on the Blackhawks. You know, the Hawks played last night. They lost 4-0 to Florida. This is, again, like I said yesterday in one of the matchups, this is a layup for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I also think the Preds should be be able to beat the Sabres. I know Buffalo's playing some pretty good hockey as of late, but that streak's got to come to an end eventually the preds have won two in a row they got good goaltending so i think nashville will be able to roll over buffalo parlaying those two in regulation plus 170 and then i'm digging into that tampa bay matchup a little bit more for my player props brayden Point has picked up an assist in four straight games and i like this spot it's paying plus 100 so even money even though he's done it in four straight this is a solid bet especially when you consider the matchup and i'm also throwing a unit on anthony sorelli to pick up an assist at plus 165 he has five assists in his last three games he's hit this mark in all three of those games plus 165 again this is good value considering that i think the lightning can put up four or five or maybe even more goals against the chicago blackhawks today so it's point and sorelli to pick up an assist and then nashville and tampa parlayed in regulation at plus 170 frank
2: Love it. Hope you continue your hot streak. It'd be awesome to check in on your season record at some point, too. You started off incredibly hot, then you were cold for a stretch, and now you're on one of those McDavid like heaters again. So let's keep it rolling.
0: Yeah, we're since we were profitable last night, we're back in the profit up area for the year. And the records, I think I'm 10 picks over 500 and like half a unit up on the year. So we're going in a good direction.
2: Love to see it. Let's get to garbage time with Matt Larkin, my favorite segment of the show. Matt, I cede the floor to you. What has caught your attention? What's caught your eye? What's important to you around the hockey world?
3: Oh, yes. I'm feeling vicariously frustrated for the NHL and its players. We saw the GM meetings this week. One of the topics tabled was, of course, the World Cup of Hockey. We know that the gimmick teams are out. We also know it appears in 2024, the tournament is going to take place in the winter, which makes me just kind of pull my hair and shake my head. Why? Why would you do this? The NBA does not pause in the middle of the season for the Olympics. They do it in the summer. They break it up. They don't interfere with the schedule. We know, of course, the NHL didn't have the ability to have a say as many, much when it came to the Olympics, the IIHF, when it's your own tournament, you can put it whenever you want. And the owners in this case would be choosing to actively risk their own assets in the middle of a season. The other thing is, if you're an NHL player, you dream of putting a gold medal around your neck. You don't dream about winning the World Cup. We have to be honest. Yes, people are starved for best on best hockey, but it's not the same. It's not nearly the same. And because of that, If players are in the middle of really tight playoff chases, when we get to winter 2024, I fear we will get opt-outs of big names who don't want to risk getting hurt or who want to heal injuries because they want to chase that Stanley Cup. World Cup, it's going to be exciting, but it doesn't have the same cachet as the Olympics. And I think putting it in the middle of the season is a big mistake. It also is a missed opportunity at an, a different a different sort of tent post to generate revenue at a different part of the hockey calendar. That's why I thought it was always effective when they put it in September. So I hate the idea of a World Cup in the middle of a season.
2: So would would like to put it in September again?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's where we always had it. The World Cup, the Canada Cup. It's a great way to sort of drum up interest for the season. And for some of the star players, it kind of gets their legs going too. It's almost like an extended version of training camp playing higher stakes games.
2: I actually like it in the middle of the season. I, I just, I think September, you're asking players to ramp up their training in August. Uh, they certainly don't want to do that. Then if they get hurt, they're done for or could be done for a large stretch of the season. Obviously, your point is well made about the important time of the season in terms of a potential injury. Uh, what really will be tricky is my understanding is that if the world cup is to be played in february 2024 that they're also contractually obligated to play an all-star game as well so you could see an all-star break and a world cup of hockey in february that's a lot to jam in on the calendar but i don't know i think you have to start with a world cup i think it you know i like it in the middle of the season it breaks up the monotony of what is a really long 82 game season and you know obviously the nhl as much as I don't know if you heard this at uh, admission, but Gary Bettman had said previously that he had campaigned for the longest time to get hockey played in the summer Olympics, which is just, I don't know. (laughs) I, uh, I am all for, uh the world cup coming back with a set schedule you need to you need to put it out hey we're playing in 24 28 32 let's make this a real thing let's make it something that players can buy in and be proud of so that they're looking forward to it every four years and in between you have the olympics that are played in 2026 and 2030 so i don't know to me i'm okay with it i don't have any issues but i can understand your points
3: yeah, I it just doesn't it doesn't sit right. And I and I I'm willing to bet money that we would see some big name opt-outs. And depending on who it is, then is it really best on best? If Connor McDavid is a little banged up the Oilers are in the middle of a big playoff chase, he decides I can't risk it. You know, my knee is acting up. I gotta sit out this tournament. Then is it even really best on best if you take an elite player out? I think it's too risky. As a fan, as someone who wants to see true best on best.
2: I am extending my hand and I am willing to bet that we don't see any high-profile opt-outs come 2024. So we'll keep that bet, uh, bet made. I don't know what it's for. We'll figure out something fun, (laughs) but, uh, this has been another edition of the daily face-off show. Love garbage time from Matt Larkin. Thanks to Matt Larkin. Thanks to Pete Blackburn, Tyler Remchuk, and our technical producer, Alex Allard. Great week of shows. We'll be back on Monday with another edition, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us subscribe on YouTube to get all of the latest live updates pumped right to your phone from our show. And until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the news, insight and analysis from around the NHL. Have a great weekend everyone.
1: Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode.